Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 24. We're going to commence reading at verse 13. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. familiar passage it's good to be back amongst you good to hear the rustling of the paper during the couple of weeks I was off I was visiting some people I was in a particular home on a particular Friday night we're having a conversation about Christ. The words were introduced into the conversation of how the Lord draws near. And on the way home, there was a, a wee sermon began to form in my mind. And it's based in this passage. And I had thought then that on the first Sabbath morning back that I would bring this message uh, as the Lord laid it on my heart. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass, while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden, that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in those days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, Today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre and found it even so as the woman had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. 
and he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with them. Now my text this morning is taken from Luke chapter 24, verse 15. And it says, and it came to pass, that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now I've entitled this message, Christ Drawing Near to His People. Let's try and picture the scene. I want you to think of two weary travelers. They're on the Emmaus Road. The Emmaus Road is a seven and a half mile long road that leads out of Jerusalem that goes down to the village of Emmaus westward. I want you to think that, that it's a, a, a Sunday afternoon. It, it's, it, it's getting near dark. The road's dusty. And as they walk home to their house at Emmaus, I believe, of course, they were up at Jerusalem at the feast of the Passover. And I've no doubt that they were born-again believers, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as they walked, they expressed one to another that they had hoped that Jesus Christ was the promised Messiah, the one who would come and redeem Israel. But as they walked, they were sad. Their hopes had been dashed. They're full of disappointment. The Jewish leaders had succeeded in their plan of crucifying Christ. So, so picture these two disciples and they're going home dejected. They are disappointed. In fact, they are in a state of shock. They, they, they felt let down. They didn't understand how could all these things be? How, how could God have let this happen? I believe it was a husband and wife team, although that's open to debate among some commentators. And as they walked and talked of Christ and his crucifixion, things that happened in Jerusalem, and as they did so, a stranger crawled up to them. The stranger entered into their conversation. Now, the Bible tells us that they didn't recognize him. The Bible tells us there in verse 16, but their eyes were holding that they should not know him. But he wasn't really a stranger. We know who he was. He was the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, for a reason, they are prevented from recognizing him. Literally, I believe at that moment, God providentially has closed their eyes. Their hearts, remember, are full of grief. Their faces are sad. Their spirits are dejected. And God himself in closing their eyes to who the stranger was, has a, a, a purpose even in, in instructing and in teaching them. God wanted to import important lessons to them. This stranger converses with them to such an a point that this husband and wife team the man's called Cleophas, 
who are walking for a time sad and disappointed, end up smiling, end up delighted. And here's a lesson surely for us that the Lord can turn our sadness into sunshine and our despair into delight. And it's all connected to the time when the risen Christ draws near. Let's think of our text, Luke 24 and 15. Let's think of our theme, Christ drawing near to his people. I want you to think of four things. First of all, here's what come to my mind two Friday nights ago, the principal way that Christ draws near. You see, oftentimes we as God's people have to confess that we have lost our joy in the Lord. There's times when we experience seasons of despondency. Connected to that is a loss of their glow, of the presence and power of God. Connected to that is the loss of their go for God. They just don't feel that they want to give themselves to that task that God has for them. There's a marked absence of the peace of Christ. There's a marked absence of calmness in their heart and mind. Yes, it's true that the Bible says, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Yes, it's true the Bible teaches rejoice in the Lord all way and again I say rejoice. Yes, it's true we have a mighty Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is mighty and able to save. Yes, it's true he's defeated death by his death on the cross. And God's people don't have to fear death because death has been defeated. Yes, it's true that there's 365 fear knots in the Bible. And the equivalent, be not afraid. Yes, it's true, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Yes, it's true, in Christ we're bound for heaven and home. Yes, it's true, we have peace with God. Yes, it's true, we have a full and free and forever pardon of all our sins. Yes, it's true that God is our Father. And we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And in light of all that I've said is true, we should be the happiest people on earth. We should be full of joy. And even in the face of hardship and trials and difficulty and bodily suffering and, and opposition and persecution, we should rejoice even in the midst of our difficult circumstances, even in the midst of the darkest of days, even in the midst of hardest of times. We should see this is an opportunity. We're, we're there in this opportunity to serve the Lord Christ. And, and we maintain a, a calm faith in him. Even when tragedy comes. And even when our life is turned upside down. Let the world see that we're in Christ. Let the world see what a difference the Lord Jesus Christ makes. Now all that I've said is true. But here's the reality. It's not always the case. There's times when we're sad. There's times when you feel let down. There's times when we're disappointed. There are times when we've lost our joy. Times when it's hard to pray. Times when it's hard to believe in God's mighty promises. Times when we lose hope. When life seems futile. When you just say, well, what's the point? Let's just quit. Times when we've lost our glow and our go for God. Now, let me ask this morning, is this where you're at, spiritually speaking, as a Christian right now? 
Maybe you're here in the house of God. Maybe you're listening to me. And you can say, preacher, that's exactly what I feel in my soul. That's exactly where I am. And we could flag up many reasons as to why you've got to this place and how. But I want to set those reasons to the one side and I want to ask this. What is the answer? And there's only one answer. There's only one remedy. And it's this. You need a sight of the Lord Jesus Christ again. That's the only answer. That's always the answer. I was in the company yesterday of a number of free Presbyterians. And if they're listening, we say hello to them in the Lord's name. We're talking about the history of the free Presbyterian church. Some of them were there from its inception. We're talking about where the church is now, not only individually and in relation to families, but congregationally, denominationally. There's a lot of talk about our unbelief, our lack of love for Christ. And wasn't that what happened to the Ephesians church? Even though Paul prayed that they might be filled full with the love of Christ, 40 years on, the Savior come and rebuked them. And said, nevertheless, if somewhat against thee, thou hast left thy first love. And is the free Presbyterian Church of Ulster as a whole not left its first love? Is there not a loss of joy and a loss of the glow of God? Where, where the presence of God was a felt reality and lost our go? Is there not a loss of passion for Christ and for his word? A passion and love for his day? And the souls of men? Is there not a longing and a need for revival to, to, to see the lost saved? Is there an answer to that? And there's only one answer. And this is what I told the gathered men and the one day a day. We need a fresh vision and sight of Jesus Christ. And I want to say by way of encouragement, here's the principal way that Christ draws near. He gives to us in mercy a fresh vision of himself. Don't look for answers anywhere else. Don't look for answers in politics. Let's leave that outside the door. Don't, don't look in the economy for answers. Don't, 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 don't look in our strategy. Don't look as far as our buildings are concerned or, or money or, or sports. Not even our togetherness. And togetherness and fellowship is important. But, but togetherness and fellowship doesn't contain the answer. Because we can have loads of meetings and be together for many variety of um, purposes. But what we need most of all, I must have the Savior with me. We need a fresh vision and sight of Christ. Many of God's people are sad. They're despondent, they're fearful, and they're worried, and they love the Lord Jesus. They're true followers of him. They're born of the Spirit. They're washed in the blood. They read their Bible. They do it daily. They offer prayer, the Lord's Prayer in particular at night. They attend the church. But the reality is, in their experience with the Lord, there's heart is cold. There's a dead formality. There, there, there's a, a, an emptiness to it all. How many free Presbyterians this morning are just going through the motions and they're thinking to themselves, what's the point? What is missing, folks? 
I believe what is missing. And here's the answer. A fresh sight of the Lord Jesus. Jesus himself drew near. What a difference when the Lord Jesus draws near. I remember the Lord Jesus drawing near to prayer meetings of long ago where you could not get your tongue into the prayer meeting. You, you were on your feet five minutes and four before the last person finished saying amen. And the minute they said amen, you were jumping in. Why? Because there was a, an easiness to pray. There was a burden and a passion. Now that seems to be missing. It seems to have gone. Why? Is it because there's a marked absence of the Lord's conscious presence? That he hasn't drawn near in the way that he did in the past? If you have lost your go for God and your heart is full of much sadness and you've lost your glow, here's the answer. A fresh sight of Christ living in light and reality of his presence. The principal way the Lord draws near. That's at the heart of our fellowship. Notice something secondly and quickly. The place where Christ draws near. If you look at our text, it says, by way of context, and behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened, and it came to pass while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now I want you to think of the Emmaus Road. It's about seven and a half miles long. It's a village that lies between, or it's a road that lies between Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, and the little village called Emmaus. And it's a long, dusty, dirty road. There's nothing really outstanding about the road. There's nothing unique. There's no wonderful features. It's not like when you're going down the road, I'm saying to you, well, you go down so many miles and then stop and you're going to come to this wonderful place and, and you, you, you spend a while there and you'll really benefit and be blessed. I think of a wee boy. Family were taking him to see the Grand Canyon in the United States of America. And when they got there, they says to the wee fellow, well, what do you think of it? And he said, well, where is the Grand Canyon? And they says, you're in it. But he says, I don't see it. I haven't heard it. You see, you can feel disappointed. You can feel let down because it's not what you expected. The wee fellow thought he was going to see a Grand Canyon. And he got to this big wide and it was just a canyon. You see, you think of these two disciples. They're followers of Christ. And they're on the road of life. And the road for them is dusty and dirty. It's rough and hard and difficult. And you see, for them, it was a place of sadness. Look at verse 17. And he said unto them, what manner of communications are these that you have one to another? As ye walk and are sad. Notice those words. Underline them. As ye walk and are sad. You see, this road was a place of tremendous sorrow in their hearts and minds. 
You see, they're talking about Christ. They're, they're trying to imagine of life without him, of, of not being able to see him. They, they have lost the pleasure of being in his presence. It's a place of sadness because they were sad in their thoughts. They're sad in their heart. They're sad in their facial expression. Their hopes are dashed. They, 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 they said, but we trust that there had been he which should have redeemed Israel. The master's dead. We had put all our trust in him. And our leaders, well, well they crucified him. And now he's gone. You, you see, by a dark turn of providence, they have lost touch and sight of Christ. Oh, yes, they were happy when Christ was with them. Yes, they had troubles. Yes, they had faced hardship. Yes, they had difficulty. But it's okay. The Lord is with us. But now they've lost sight of him. And maybe that's where you're at today, in the place of sadness. Because something unexpected has happened. Some tragedy has come. You've got a body blow in your experience. Maybe you've been told of a life-threatening illness. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's the loss of finance. Read this week of a woman who lost 70,000 pounds to some sort of scam that was going on. You imagine the impact of that. If I lost 7,000, 700 pounds, I'd be doing a lot of greeting to some scam. But, but 70,000? Wow. Maybe you're experiencing some sort of hardship and trial right now. Maybe it's a, it's a marital breakup. Or, 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 or it's grief because a loved one has been taken. You're full of tears. You're full of sorrow. Your heart's heavy. And one thing you don't feel or sense is his presence. You're not hearing his voice. You haven't got the assurance that he is with you. You feel, Lord, you've forgotten me. Are you there? You feel he's forsaken you. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, but, but I'm in the place of sadness because I've sinned against him. And I deserve to feel like this. Now, I want to make it clear that in this place of sadness, look at verse 15. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Do, do you see that? They're walking and are sad. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. In such an hour as this, when they're in the place of sadness, overwhelmed with grief, Jesus himself drew near. He is really able he is really willing to draw near to his people. I was really struck in conversation with this dear brother. We talked about Luke 24, 15, Jesus himself. And then we come to verse um, uh, 37. And it, 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 it's, sorry, verse 27. It says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And then if we come down to verse 36, it says, And as they speak, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. You see, whatever it is, whatever brought you to this place of sadness, all in the words of comfort and help, what is needed the most is to know the reality that Jesus himself has drawn near. Get your eyes of men. 
Get your eyes of the church. Get your eyes of the elders, the pastors. Get your eyes of the entertainment industry. Get your eyes even of your life's problems. Look to the Lord. You see, he knows you. He loves you. If you're his, he cares for you. And you're thinking, but my life's in a mess. I have sinned, Lord, I'm sad. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. I want you to think not only of the place where the Lord Jesus came, it was also a place of sinfulness. Two Christians, as I've said, I believe, a husband and wife team. Do you know they were full of a spirit of unbelief? Look with me at verse 24. It says, and certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the woman had said, but him they saw not. The emphasis is on him. We heard about the empty tomb, but him we saw not. In other words, we didn't believe. And we could add into this, they didn't believe what the scriptures taught about a suffering Messiah. You see, they forgot to believe all of the Bible. Young people, boys and girls, there's one Bible, and there's two testaments, the old and the new. And these are interdependent one on another because they're all teaching about the person and work of Christ. They believe parts of the Bible, and they chose to ignore other parts. And isn't that so typical of our hearts and the foolishness of our thoughts? It's so easy. To love the parts that speak of peace and joy and happiness. But forget the parts that speak of hardship and trouble and trials and death and suffering and, and warfare. But the scripture says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness. Do we really believe the scriptures of truth? Do we really believe the difficult doctrines of the Bible? Whether it's the doctrine of election. Or the doctrine of hell and eternal punishment. Or the doctrine of sin. Or the doctrine of God's holiness. That God's a God of wrath. You see, their unbelief is a sin. And, and how many don't see it as a sin? How many say, oh, it's no big deal. Let's just shrug it off. Doesn't really matter. Listen to what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 3 and in the verse 12. Take heed, brethren. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. You see, they were disbelieving God. They were not fully trusting him. They were not taking him at his word. They, 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 they were neglecting parts of the Holy Scriptures. Look at verse 21. It says, But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. We had trusted. Besides all this, he talked about the woman. They didn't believe their report when they came back. He has risen. They didn't believe the tomb was empty. They, they emphasized him they saw not. You know what they're really saying, folks? They're saying, we have trusted in vain. He made certain claims and they haven't been fulfilled. And therefore their hearts and minds were full of rank unbelief. And how many free Presbyterians have hearts that are full of rank unbelief in many, many areas to do with Christ and the Christian life. 
And yet, here's the amazing thing. The risen Christ drew near to them, even in their sin. You see, we've got this notion, and I emphasized this yesterday, that he will not move toward us unless we move toward him. And I know the Bible says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh unto you. But that's not what happens in this incident. They're in the place of sadness. They're in the place of sinfulness. They had no desire of him. They, they were not calling on him to draw near. He, he, he was not in their hearts and minds that he was risen. And is it not so humbling that he drew near? Sometimes we think we're so wicked and bad, we've so messed up. Christ will not want to come near us. We must reform, we must do better. It's a lie. It's off the devil. He can come to us. In fact, he has to come. In his sovereign eternal purpose, he has to move toward us if our hearts are to be stirred and turned. Let me tell you something else. It was the place of specialness on this road. When they were walking down the road, what did they talk about? Did they talk about the weather? Did they talk about the sports? Did they talk about the politics? Did they talk about the soldiers? No. This is what they talked about. They talked about the crucifixion of Christ. It says, and it came to pass, that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near with them. The stranger asked them, what manner of communications are these that you have one to another? Verse 18, and one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass in those days? And he asked them, what things? And they tell him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him and him to be condemned to death and have crucified him, but we trusted. Do, do you get the picture? The topic of conversation has to do with Christ. And even though there was sadness in their heart, and even though there was sinfulness due to rank unbelief, that was a sacred time because he was the topic of conversation. Even though it was imperfect, they were just focusing in on his death, his crucifixion, his tomb. I wonder, do we speak of Christ every day in our houses, in our social gatherings? I know you have to be careful in a job-related place where you speak of Christ but does our conversation reverberate around the personal work of the Lord Jesus? Or is it only politics and sport and the weather and movies? Is it of Christ, the things of God, the things to do with heaven, not the things of earth? See, many have nothing to say about Christ. You can meet Christians. They can claim to be saved and love the Lord Jesus, but never once do they speak of Christ. Never mention a verse of the Bible. They never tell you about some sermon they've heard or, or, or something that has blessed and strengthened them. And yet he drew near because this was a place of specialness as they communed with him. He revealed himself more and more to them. Very quickly here, think of the person who drew near. Notice the text, if you go back to that, Jesus himself. Here's the uh, risen Christ. 
the shepherd and bishop of our soul, the only mediator of the new covenant, the Lord of glory, the best friend of all. Not an angel, not an archangel, not one of the disciples, not Peter or John, but Jesus himself. The word Jesus, of course, refers to the Savior. And I tie it into verse 16, but their eyes were holding that they should not know him. Why did they not recognize him? Mark 16 and verse 12 tells us that he appeared unto them in another form. Maybe another reason why they didn't recognize him was that they weren't looking for him. They were not expecting him. They didn't recognize him because their hearts are full of grief and sadness. And great grief while it's real. And there is such a thing as great grief and bereavement. And there's a tremendous article in the Vision magazine on uh, grief and bereavement. Why did they not recognize him? Because their hearts are overcome with grief. The, the sadness was real. Why not recognize him? Because unbelief had shut their eyes. They didn't think, but he is with us. He is still there. They didn't believe the promise. Hebrews 13 and 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I will never, 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 never leave thee. Why not? They didn't think he's directing everything. You know, I believe this morning in the uncontrollable sovereignty of Jesus Christ. It's not just he's controlling everything, but he's directing everything. You see, no sin could thwart his plan or purpose. Satan cannot thwart his plan and purpose. The death of Jesus Christ, the worst crime ever, men were responsible but a sovereign God had ordained it from all eternity, slain from the foundation of the world. The crucifixion, Acts 2.23, was part of his master plan because no sin can thwart the purposes of Christ. And if anything, of course, could happen outside his direct plan, his divine plan, then he, he wouldn't be sovereign. But he is sovereign. Why did they not recognize him? Because they were ignorant of him. You think of these words, verse 25, Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. They took the book, Genesis to Malachi, and step by step, starting at, at Adam, I believe, with the first sacrifice, and he disclosed all the scriptures, revealing himself to be a once and for all sacrifice for sin, his death on the cross, his blood shedding, and his resurrection. Maybe you're here this morning and your heart is full of sorrow. You have trouble, difficulty in your home, you have heartache. And you find it hard to read the scriptures, hard to study. Are you looking for a glimpse of him? Remember, he loves you. He hasn't left us. He's with us even in the water and in the flood. And even though the book's hard, you pray, Lord, open mine eyes. And open mine eyes that I might see Christ in the word. Because here's the person who draws near. It's Jesus the Savior. And there are reasons why we don't recognize him. I've outlined some of them. But we can overcome the reasons when Jesus himself draws near. One final thought. The purpose for which he draws near. 
Why do we read in the scriptures Jesus himself drew near and went with them? Here's the answer, to remove the sadness of their heart. And he wants to remove your sadness. To reprove the sinfulness of the heart, to deal with their unbelief. Oh fools, he was reproving them, even though it was gently and mildly. And to restore their spirituality of heart. Don't question my truth. I'm not a liar. I always do as I promise. I always keep my word. You see, he'd drawn near to reveal the fullness of his person and work to them. That's what verses 25 and 26 is teaching. Oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and have entered into his glory in the beginning at Moses and all the prophets, expound unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The book is Christocentric. It's all about Christ. And you know what the result was in this purpose? As he removed their sadness, as he reproved the sinfulness of their heart, as he restored the spirituality of their heart, the Bible says they constrained him. Look, look at verse 29. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us. It is toward evening, and the day is far spent, and he went in to tarry with them. Isn't that a beautiful? Isn't that key? As he drew near to them, their hearts were warmed, and then they constrained him to abide. And that's what we need. Not only did he const they constrain him, but they had communion with him. You think of this. It says, and it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread, that's a loaf of bread, and he, and he break it, he break it in front of them, and blessed it, and gave to them, and their love for him was fired up. And then they went forth to confess him. You know what they did? They traveled back to Jerusalem. Two and a half hours. If I'd have spent two and a half hours on the road, I'm not sure from Jerusalem to a mess, if I'd have wanted to walk back. I'm not a walker. Some of you know that. It, it was late into the night. It had to be. It is evening. The darkness has come. But they had a burden to tell others. They didn't wait to tell. They, 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 they went back to the upper room to tell the others that they had seen the risen Lord. Let me ask in closing. Where does our burden for the lost come from? We pray, Lord, give us a burden for the Lord. Have we got a burden for the lost and carried off? Lost children, lost young people. I was watching, because of traffic, at least the tail end of that parade, I was really struck with the many young people that were there. Have we a burden for those young people? And I come home with this thought, Lord, where does that burden come from? comes from the Lord Jesus Christ drawing near. And as he draws near, he'll open the book. And then there'll be a sharing about the person and work of Christ himself. And as he draws near to us, we'll constrain him to abide. And we'll have communion and fellowship with him. And we'll see him as the most important one, the most important person. And the sadness will be gone. The sinfulness will be dealt with. And our hearts will be warm. Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way? And it'll not matter if you're going through a period of sadness. Or you're in the place of the storm right now. And you need the master. He can draw near. The purpose for which he draws near.
Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Let's see this as a principal truth. Let's see the place where he draws near. Let's see the person who comes. It's Jesus himself. And let's see the purpose. May it be fulfilled in our hearts and in our lives at this time.